Welcome to the Security Serengeti, where your host, David Swerger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at Serengeti Sec on X Twitter. We're here to prattle on about DEF CON and Black Hat, and maybe you'll be amused for a few minutes, or maybe you'll just turn us off early. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. Man, I saw that Wiz had a really big booth at Black Hat. I think they had the best swag of the conference. They were handing out branded urinal cakes, so I picked up a couple for the office. Were they flavored? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. As a side note, I was doing some research for no apparent reason, and apparently you can get branded urinal uh, screens for about five bucks each. So, you know, if anybody wants to do some swag like that, definitely make memories. People would remember you. Yeah, I think I think you should get those made up with the Wiz logo on them and then just sneak them into the conference and drop them at their booth so people think they're Wiz swag. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> and just keep coming by every couple hours and drop off some more. Well, I mean, depending on how much you want to buy, I think you said you said it was four bucks a piece, but you had to buy a minimum amount, right? Minimum order of 48. Right. So, I mean, uh, you could just take the whole stack of 48 at one go. Okay. You know, actually, it might be better to put them away from the booth so that people like come up to them and ask them about it. Like, is this your swag? They're like, no, wait, that's our logo. For people <laughs> posting about it, and they have no idea. <laughs> you just scatter them around the conference like a treasure hunt or something. Stick them in the urinals in the bathrooms. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that they don't would do that. Be hilarious. That is, they would that probably, is... that, uh, I don't think Wiz would find it as amusing if they were actually in the urinals as they would if they were just found near their booth. But that's a missed marketing opportunity for Black Hat. Think of it. The urinal spot, the porcelain sponsor. <laughs> like silver <laughs> and gold. It's funny when uh, when I joined the army, I went to the recruiting station and the recruiting station actually had up Jane Fonda urinal targets in in the in the bathroom. Ah, uh, that's funny. All right, we're here to talk about Hacker Summer Camp, which unfortunately David did not get to go to this year because he never goes. No. No, no. Like the, the dog with the violin on the Far Side cartoon. <laughs> yeah, the one staring out the window? Yep. So I went to Hacker Summer Camp this year. I was supposed to go to all three conferences, B-Sides, Black Hat, and DEF CON. I missed B-Sides because there were flight delays on Monday and I got in a day late. Did you have your ticket already and just didn't get to yep. the conference or no? Yep. Pre-bought no. my ticket and did not get to go. Well, it's fine. I mean, what's that? That's like 25 cents or something for B-Size, isn't it? It was 190, I think. Oh, I mean, wow, that's a lot stiffer than I expensive. thought. Yeah. There was, I did get to go see one talk Tuesday night, which was kind of interesting. It was a talk called Becoming a Dark Knight Adversary Emulation Demonstration for Attack Evaluations by Kat Self and Kate Esprit. So those are probably the only people I'm going to quote here, although I don't want to talk about the valid people. But this one was interesting. It was a talk about how they use MITRE ATT&CK. Their, their MITRE ATT&CK evaluations team has been using a Latin American APT custom software to attempt to emulate APTs. It was a very interesting talk, but two things. Number one. I don't think that most companies have the resources to do this. Like they were talking, they had a full dev team who was working on developing custom software to emulate this APT. And they get their return on investment by selling software that does this for companies? I don't think so. They weren't, which is actually my second part is it seems like a lot of the AI and automated red team companies do very similar stuff. I mean, the real difference here is if you're using an automated 
AI or a red team company, you have to use what they provide and they're these guys are building their own. So it was a very cool talk. It just didn't seem realistic for 95% of companies out there. Mm -hmm. That's probably just trying to think about how they're, how they're making money off it, how they're able to stay. No, 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 this is not a vendor. Oh, okay. This is like a company. Oh, this is just like open source kind of thing. Nope. Wasn't open source. It was their, their company just does it as part of their security. What, you mean in-house? Yeah. Yeah, they have a team what? of in-house developers writing custom attack code to emulate APT to test their own security. Wow. Yeah, that's why I was like, this is really that cool, is but... Neat, but insane. Yeah. And I don't know how <laughs> they justify it. I don't know, maybe they got too much money. Maybe it's a... I didn't see, I, I didn't hear what company they work for, but maybe it's a like a financial company with just crazy amounts of money. Yeah. Like, well, Anyways. we could do this or buy the security team, you know, Corvette. <laughs> Lamborghinis, <Yeah. laughs> So that was the only thing I saw at B-Sides LV. And it's funny because I was staying at the Tuscany. And so I had to go. I had to take Ubers everywhere after that. I went to Black Hat on a business hall pass, which gave me access to the vendors, but not the talks. I figured a lot of the talks would be duplicated at DEF CON. And I actually went there with a specific goal to, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I really dislike social interaction. So I went there with a specific goal to try and talk to as many vendors as possible. And I counted, I talked to like nine or 10 vendors. No, wait, there's more. Cause there was, there's some other ones that we're not going to talk about. I think it was like 12 vendors, which for me is crazy. So vendor land bots, first of all, Asset intelligence slash inventory slash deduplication seems to really finally be coming into its own and being a big thing. They all do basically the same thing. They connect to various APIs. They ingest the data about the assets behind those APIs, and then they dedupe based on Mac and host name and I don't know, maybe some other things as well. Uh, I feel like IT security has finally just gotten tired of IT and being like, IT is not going to do it. They're, they're not going to get off their butts and actually provide us with up-to-date inventories. We're just going to have to do it ourselves. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, it's been decades at this point. And, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've often said that security is really the the hidden factory of IT. So mm. it doesn't surprise me that it goes that route. Yeah. Yeah, we've yeah, we've talked about it before. If if IT did everything correct, like ninety percent of security would be unnecessary. Not really a surprise. Some offer more. Like I said, they all do the connect, ingest, deduplicate, but some offer things like workflow solutions and automation to remediate compliance issues. Some offer, some bring vulnerability management into it, which kind of makes sense to me. Seems like this is not necessarily an independent product. It seems like this is something that maybe could be integrated into a SIM or a vulnerability scanner. Well, I think it makes it, it should be integrated into a CMDB proper because I you know what I'd like to see is like they like see AI be able to sit together like a CMDB, a PAM, DNS, network ARP tables, and VA discovery mm-hmm. stitch all that together. And I think you'd be able to get, get much closer to the ground truth at any to- moment in time about what, what's on the network and what those things are doing on the network. No, that makes sense because you're right. Because right now you'd have to buy one of these and you'd have to buy like a separate CMDB to populate. Right. Those should not be two separate tools. Yeah. You know, and I also wish that, you know, they, with this, this explosion AI, that they'd, they'd be able to tie AI into this also to be able to deconflict systems with multiple NICs in your CMDB or your IPAM or your VA tool or whatever, 
so that when you, well, especially VA, I guess would be the the big one though, because you do a VA scan, you got, oh, well, these five IP addresses <laughs> all have a vulnerability, but yeah. it's one system with five NICs in it instead, yeah. and VA the system doesn't know that. So I think that would be really helpful also, however, however that got done. That makes sense. So I talked to uh, four vendors in this area, and I'm not going to name one of them, but, and, and before I even start, I will mention Splunk. They don't offer this specific functionality, but you can replicate it partially using a lot of the logs in Splunk. So for example, I've actually created a dashboard that pulls in EDR data, vulnerability manager data, Splunk windows logs, and then a lookup that represents the manual inventory count and then deduplicate them based on hostname. So if your only use case is something simple, like making sure your EDR is all in your systems or your vulnerability scanning all of your systems, or you're bringing in the logs for all the systems, you can do this yourself and it'll be enough and a lot cheaper. Now, if you want to expand to other things that require, you know, like cloud and stuff like that, it might not be quite that easy, but for your, for your super basic use cases, you can probably do it yourself in a sim. Yeah. And still an 80% solution is better than nothing. So I'm not going to name them, but there is a basic vendor. I, I feel bad about naming them because I'm not going to be terribly complimentary to them. They, well, again, uh, we're not going to get that check. <laughs> and not for many bribes. So they appear to do the deduplication of assets, and that's pretty much it. I asked them what their secret sauce was, and they were like, well, this is the secret sauce. We do deep duplication. And I was like, have you talked to any of your competitors? Because they're all doing this plus way more. But they did say their pricing was very competitive, so maybe they're they're going for the folks that can't afford. <laughs> uh, By competitive, you mean dirt cheap? <laughs> they didn't say explicitly, but maybe. Because like, that's a feature. Uh, you yeah, know, they have a whole no, company around a feature or a whole tool around a oh, feature. I'm yeah. not sure if they do anything yeah. else, but you know, that's just a feature. There's another, there's another tool that we'll talk about later that I think is also a feature. So yeah. Then there's Exonius. Their big differentiator is their compliance center, which is an automation and workflow tool that can do things like change settings, you know, put cloud assets behind firewall groups, create alerts, et cetera, et cetera. So that one is a little more interesting. They have a larger definition of assets. So the first vendor. Basically, it's like VMs and servers and laptops and physical systems and virtual systems, and that's assets. I think they might have brought in IDs too, but that's it. Exonius, there's an addition, it looks like there's an additional module you have to buy to bring in the SaaS items, but it'll look at a lot more. They seem to have the most integrations up to 650. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, it would, it would be better, in my opinion anyway, if for that compliance thing, is to use Chef for Ansible to make sure your config stayed in check with whatever your compliance needs are. And the, and the good thing about Chef and Ansible is you can manage the configs with GitHub or, or a, a similar tool. And you, so you could track all that over time. And maybe Exonius has something like that built in. I don't know, but I would doubt it. Yeah. One thing I will say for all these is like, these are all, this is the result of like a 20 minute talk with each of them. So this is obviously not going to be what I'm looking for. This is obviously not going to be exhaustive reviews. This is going to be like, what did they tell me was the, the the big thing that they did and how they did it. Yeah. Until they call you for that demo that they're expecting you to, I, to get from them. I was actually thinking, should we start doing demos? Like, cause when we first started the podcast, we had talked about doing like, it was, it was be alternating news and alternating like deep dives into stuff. Should we look at doing like demos on things and trying to do like episodes on like a like a like a type of tool and trying to well, like get demos for them. I don't know. I suppose we could look into it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'd want to fully do that because that's a lot of time to sit through all those mm -hmm. demos. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe we pick like, I know some of these offer free trials and stuff. Maybe we pick one and do like a free trial or something on it. I don't know. Anyways, <clears throat> Armis, next vendor. Their secret sauce is their signature database that allows them to specifically identify something like 3 million different types of assets based on their network traffic. Because in addition to the API connections, they can also connect to switch span ports and identify assets by network traffic. And apparently they also will do alerting when a device is acting outside of its quote, known good baseline and might be compromised. Mm. That kind of behavioral detection is always interesting. Sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've talked to these guys before and, you know, they claim that their fin the device fingerprinting is virtually 100% accurate, basically 99% or better accurate Interesting. for fingerprinting. I know that Nmap has signatures based on how the various operating systems handle packets, like certain flags that are being set in certain ways that it's replying. So I'm sure this is kind of similar, like they all handle the IP stack slightly different or the the various levels differently. So I don't know, maybe maybe they can. Yeah. Well, when I talked to them, I don't, I'm not sure exactly why they touted this as a big deal, but <laughs> being able to identify like... an Xbox that was on the network. I mean, I don't want to know because I'd be like, where is that? It's like, you, you know, you have your, your emergency, what, golden eye disc or something with you just in case. <laughs> Anyways, it's, I mean, it seemed like an interesting product. I took a look at their dashboard. The dashboard looked cool. Didn't have enough blinky lights. Just kidding. <laughs> the last vendor I talked to is Jupiter One. They had a much, much broader definition of an asset than others. They included applications, services, cloud components. Like, like in, you know, in AWS cloud, you've got like Lambda functions, you've got, you know, your your all your network stuff is a group like they consider that an asset it was very interesting they had a lot more stuff than the other folks did uh, yeah well if you look in the cmdb a lot of new newer cmdbs anyway classify all sorts of stuff as ci's yeah. configuration items mm -hmm. which includes applications and stuff like that and i think the you know the inclusion of applications i think is 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 a a really good idea and i'm hoping more more of them start doing this because if you can tie in a software asset management as well as a hardware asset management and tie those two things together saying hmm. this hardware has this software on it i think there's a lot um, of value added there a lot of them did have the software that was available there although it didn't seem like that portion was as mature but again i, I only had a few minutes with each so it's entirely possible that there's a lot more one last thing about jupiter one they use a graph database which I'm not a database expert, but I was told that makes ma making mapping relationships a lot easier, which I guess is more important when you've got so many different things you're considering assets for them. So, yeah, and you know, and if, if Exonius did the software management, I think that could be a big deal as well, because one of the things that's, that Exonius does is it, it will integrate with the consoles for all sorts of tools which have agents, and they can tell if an agent is on a box or not on a box. So if they took that one step further and used the data from like an EDR, which generally can do an an a software inventory, they could use those agents from other devices in order to populate the software asset inventory in their system rather than having to deploy their own agent to do the same thing. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Exonius dashboard. They have a this is actually one thing that Exonius does that I really like that I haven't seen on the others. They have the ability to see the platform. And I'm sure this is not like an active platform, but it looks like the platform and it's got all the, you know, tabs on the left and they've got a guided tour. They do have a software tab. So it does appear that they do include the software. All right. So okay. 
I'm excited. I'm excited actually about this asset inventory stuff. I think this is, yeah, here we go. For example, you, we can see all installed software in a single asset. If only you were sitting next to me and you could see this. So they've got things like open ports, network interfaces, installed software, vulnerable software, agent versions, hard drives, and then the, the various adapters where it's found in. So, yeah. So what you're saying is 2023 is the year that people got serious about asset management. You know, I'm excited actually, because so many years, like asset inventory has always been number one and software inventory has always been number two on the list of top 10 controls and it's never been taken seriously. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Second vendors that I spent a lot of time talking to, the breach and attack simulation. Next year, I'm going to try and branch out and actually like go talk to vendors for stuff that I don't care as much about because really like <laughs> you'll notice as I go through these, these are all vendors that are about things that I care deeply about. <laughs> We've discussed breach and attack simulation before. We're big fans. It looks like it's starting to morph into more of an automated slash AI pen testing, which is interesting, but I think that brings us further away from the main use case. Because mm. every time every time we've talked about it, and I try and describe what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to validate every piece of my detection content across every security boundary every day and produce two things. I want to produce a dashboard that is a sea of green when everything is working. And I want to produce like a quantitative measure of how likely we are to detect an attacker based on like comparing our, you know, attack coverage and our log coverage and detection coverage against the most common attacker use cases mm -hmm. and, and be able to like put in an APT. Like if APT 31 hit us, how quickly would we detect them? Where would we detect them? Where are our gaps, et cetera, et cetera. But most of the most of the vendors couldn't do that. One vendor said they could. Attack IQ said they could, although they said that it would involve some custom. I don't understand how this is not out of the box a thing. Well, Mandy can do it. Ooh, I didn't see them on there. I didn't actually go talk to them. I know they bought Veridin. So unfortunately, I didn't talk to them on the floor. That's because it's awesome. <laughs> they've done a lot of uh, improvements. Well, I mean, they've done a lot of work since you and I saw it. Where were they? I know I saw them there. There's a couple of vendors I wanted to stop by, but they're all just, just constantly busy, which I guess is good for them. I expect them to get better over time. Hopefully. I mean, well, I mean, they at least when there. they were rare and they, you know, they've, they've only been mandiant for a short period of time. So we, I guess we don't know if they've got the, the mandiant taint yet. Yeah. I'm actually looking at the, the floor map. I don't see them on there. Maybe they weren't there. I can, I find it hard to believe that they would have skipped. That's weird. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to remember if I saw them or not. I really don't remember. They might not have been there. There are some vendors that I did not see that I expected to. Although, the, frankly, the floor is huge, so it's entirely possible that I saw them. And I don't know. Yeah, how many people were there? 17,400. <laughs> yeah, so that means right. there are probably 18,000 vendors. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first breach and attack simulator Breach and Attack Simulation, person I saw was Attack IQ. They have some new offerings. They are dividing their current platform up into three options. The most interesting one, I think, for smaller organizations is Flex. Apparently, you can buy credits, which appear to run about $500 a credit. This is because they gave me a, a little card, and they said they were giving me $4,000 in credits. And when I logged wow. in today and checked it out, they gave me eight credits. So I'm guessing that that is $500 per credit. How for generous. I mean, for it's 500 seems a little expensive, but 
There are three security baseline packages they had in there. There's one to test your content filter, one to test your endpoint AV, and one to test your endpoint EDR. Each of those were one credit each to run, so about $500. There were nine adversary emulation packages, which attempted to, you know, I guess do an entire attack chain from start to finish. Those were five credits each, so about $2,500. You manually download the package and you run it on the system of your choice. And it's just an executable. So you could, you know, script up something with PowerShell to like ship it off somewhere and run it and pull back the results. And then the credit is used when you upload the results and get the report. So you can run it as many times as you want to, but only when you decide to get the report to you, does it charge you. Right. And they get their data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I actually was going to run it, but I totally forgot that I have a Mac and it didn't work on the Mac. They do not have any packages for the Mac on their Flex version. Mm. So, and I ran out of time to go run it on somewhere else. I don't know if I, I I would need to get permission before I ran it on my work laptop. I think (laughs) they would be a little, you think so? Maybe a little. I do love that they gave that demo and the free credits to attendees. Although again, after talking with them to do what I would want to do with the dashboard and everything, I would need the enterprise version. So Pika's security. We talked about, we talked about a report from them a couple weeks ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple months ago. I don't know. Time flies. Then interesting presentation where they showed the chain of attacks and like where it would have been detected and prevented. There's a nice visualization of kind of where there were logs for the attack, where there were alerts for the attack, and then when it was actually blocked. So that was that was a good presentation. They're not able to do what I want, which is that dashboard of green and mapping test to content, but they do offer the free trial. I'll probably, maybe, maybe I'll take a look at it, see if it works for Mac and install it on my home computer. If it does. Yeah, and Eliza uh, wasn't there either, right? No. Was Picus the one where yeah, Picus had uh they had a Tom Cruise impersonator dressed as Maverick. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes way. <laughs> he was really good. He was very looked a lot like Tom Cruise. Oh. Man, there go the booth babes. Wait. Ah. So then there was Pentera, which was less breach and attack simulation, more automated IA IAI pen testing. It looked like a more limited platform, although they had a really big booth at the front. Like the engine was right behind the entrance. You walk in, their booth is right there. They had a DJ that was playing really loud music. And a lot of, actually, a lot of these booths had like people doing little like impromptu talks and stuff and acting almost like carnival barkers trying to get people in their booth. Hmm. Uh, It was super annoying. All of them. I hated all of it. It's like walking through a county fair. It is. And and here's the funny part. I don't remember almost anything about Pantera. I remember thinking it was kind of cool when I was looking at it, but it felt like it was a little bit more limited because they seemed really focused on attack chains and like the APT testing part, which again is cool, but I want to do the basic testing first and then move up to the APT testing. That makes too much sense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to blame the loud DJ that I kept staring daggers at. Like every time, like we would try to talk and we were shouting at each other while he was trying to show me the demo. It's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it was, it was very, it was very against kind of like unconstructive for yeah. making sales. Yep. So, but they have a demo and I don't know. Maybe we'll try and play with that one too. I actually wouldn't mind. For, I don't know that I want to do this for everything, but I actually wouldn't mind getting demos of the breach and attack simulation stuff because this is something that we've talked about before and like maybe we don't do it for everything. Maybe we pick one thing or something. Mm-hmm. Now, did you say that one of these, one of the breach and attack simulation 
vendors actually has a partnership with cyber insurance to do reporting to reduce premiums or for their customers so, to use them or something like that? That was where was that called out? BI2. B two. Oh. Yeah, because as doing when I was doing research for this, I was looking over their websites try because it's been two weeks and I saw, you know, like I said, a dozen vendors. And I was trying to remember which one did what. And I don't want to one of them and their use cases and stuff. I don't think it was I don't think it was it might have been Picus specifically called out. They called out using attack simulation to reduce your cyber insurance premiums because you could they could produce a specific report that would go out to that spoke towards the the insurance part. Mm. Oh, kind of like a SOC 2 standard kind of thing. Yeah, I can't find it now. It was like mm. I said, I was looking at these earlier this morning and saw a note about that they produced it. But that's a that's a great idea. Well, I'm kind of hoping that one of them had partnered with an insurance company. Said, hey, yeah. if you deploy a Picus box on your on your network, you know, we'll give you a five percent discount or something like that. Provided we get some of the data or something like that. You know, we've yeah, talked about this not. before. I'm yeah. not going to go over the uh, whole idea. But I think a partnership between the tax sim and cyber insurance could be really good. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. If you validate your content is good and has wide attack coverage and is functioning everywhere, that should go a long way into helping you prove you're more secure. Yeah, All right. You in terms of content, I did talk with one vendor there. I didn't talk with Cyborg Security. I've talked with them before. They have an interesting thing where they provide hunt packages and logic for various sims that's tested and validated. Uh, Anvil Logic goes a step further than that, though. Um, they provide content for Splunk and Data Lakes, uh, which is interesting because they specifically mentioned Snowflake a couple times. Or they were talking about how a lot of their customers had gone to Snowflake because it cost about half as much as Splunk. And then they layer Anvil Logic on top of it to provide the logic for searching the data mm. lake. Uh, and it also acts as a correlation engine on top of Splunk. So one thing I've heard in the past is that Splunk can have some difficulty with more complicated correlation searches. You have to use a combination of sub-searches and summary indexes and things like that. So what it does is it will provide various content and searches for you know various attack techniques. And then you can layer on top a meta search that will... Because what they talk about is it's very similar to RBA. They don't alert necessarily off these sub-searches they give you. They then look for a alert for a IP address that is, you know, earlier in the attack chain, followed by one later in the attack chain. And you can create actually some complex logic around that with sp even specific types of tactics following others or just before others or et cetera, et cetera. So it looks like they're kind of, it's weird because I, I, don't, I don't feel like they do anything that specifically can't be done in a sim, although they do provide an easier interface for doing it. I think it's more important to have something like this if you're in a data lake as opposed to Splunk, because right now Splunk provides a ton of content these days with their security essentials and security analytics. Is that better than it used to be? Because you used to turn the thing on and just have it throw a whole bunch of false positives. You took forever to do um, It's all set up for if you have the common information, if everything is SIM compliant. So if you're not SIM compliant, yeah, that's the first thing you have to do. Because mm -hmm. yeah, every year I come back from .conf and I'm like, I'm going to try the security essentials app again. <laughs> and every year I'm disappointed because it takes, because, yeah. Hmm. So the other interesting thing that Anvil Logic does is it provides tuning suggestions. It looks at how many times a various rule has fired. And it'll tell you the example they showed me was 
if you tune out this one, you know, executable process file, then you will reduce 80% of these alerts. So that's kind of mm. cool. Now, we, we talked before about how some of the, the products before were features, not products. And this has kind of the same problem, is if you're using this with Splunk, it's features. If you're using it with a data lake, it's actually a whole project product because it's basically replacing Splunk for a data lake. Mm. Or some some things. Mm-hmm. Well, if they do this well, maybe Splunk will buy them. <laughs> I wondered if that was... I think I suggested that to them. <laughs> all right. Last thing I want to talk about for uh, Black Hat is all the bribes. This is ridiculous. This is. I've been to conferences before. I've been to industry conferences. I've gone to uh, Splunk.com. I went to Black Hat like a decade ago, but I was a junior engineer, so nobody wanted to offer me any bribes at that point in time. These are uh, incentives, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. Incentives. There's a ton of parties, of course, and they would give you invites to the parties. And then they would send you an invite later being like, hey, if you come by and stop in for a demo, I'll give you a VIP bracelet, which means you get into the line earlier and you can go ahead of everybody else. And Which I ended up not going to any Black Hat parties because, as I mentioned before, I'm an introvert. I don't really care about parties. There was a photo booth for professional headshots. Like, that was a good one. I didn't take advantage of it. There's a line the whole time, but that's a good one. Also, I wasn't dressed for a professional headshot either. <laughs> there was an email floating around about going on a helicopter trip. And then like eating dinner with a bunch of high powered industry executives passed on that one too. There's everybody, of course, was taking everybody out for dinners at overpriced Las Vegas restaurants. Having been in a helicopter before, I would definitely do that. You know, I looked it up. It was only a hundred bucks. Oh, for a helicopter ride? Yeah. Oh, I don't know how long that would have been more expensive than that. So, you know, when they had the, actually, you know, that would be awesome when they have that sphere up and running. Ooh, yeah. To fly yeah. over that in a helicopter? I bet they do. I bet they do. They're offering jackets from, you know, expensive retailers. One of the vendors was literally offering a $100 Amazon gift card, which is the most useful of all the swag, but really the one that's kind of the most on the nose. Like the rest of them, you could be like, oh, but the jacket is branded with our, so it's an advertising thing. Mm. Well, they could have the, the Amazon gift card with their logo on it. <laughs> <laughs> I could have, but I'm not seeing it. Yeah, but what can you buy at Amazon for, you know, 100 bucks? Yeah. Nothing. So I just find this so interesting to me as a marketing, because none of these are going to change the mind of a CEO or like a senior engineer. They all make enough money. Like, are you just going for the the small amount of goodwill so that when they review your product, they'll remember, oh, I'm wearing this really nice jacket and it's from such and such. It might be even smaller than that, that, you know, they will return your... They, you will return an email or answer the phone. You'll feel guilty. Something just that small, maybe. Yeah, feel like you can't just ignore them next time. Yeah, or feel guilty about ignoring them. Oh my gosh, you know what that reminds me? There was another product I saw that I didn't mention. It was kind of like the asset inventory stuff where it reaches out via API, but this one reaches out and pulls in data. Like it pulls in like, you've got you know 5,000 identities in this data store and you've got 12,000 documents with you know this data in them in this data store which is kind of interesting because that's definitely something I feel ignorant of quite a bit. Like where your data is and who owns it and what's actually there. Oh yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and it it's a combination of products. It has this, that's like the core capability, but then it also has a compliance module where it tells you, you know, what your reporting requirements are if this data is breached. And then it'll also tell you how much the fines are if that data is breached, which I was thinking about that. That's super interesting from a SOC perspective because that tells me potentially what I need to monitor or my prioritization for what to monitor. 
Yep, exactly. This database could be worth a million dollars if it's breached. This database, you know, could cost us $50 million when it's breached. Is it worth spending, you know, $100,000 to monitor this $50 million database? Well, actually, you tie that into your tax sim too and say, Mm. okay, where are our gaps at? Yeah. And, you know, are those gaps what would be protecting those high value systems as well as Ah. what the risk would be for your your sim alerts or whatever? Yeah. They also had a, a breach or like an incident management workflow tool built in there as well. That was not really for security operations, not like a ticketing system workflow. It was more, because we've talked before about how like lawyers, some a lot of people think that lawyers should be leading IR. This was more of like a high level, you know, have you, you know, brought in your communications team? Have they, mm. have they you know, announced and, and, and disclosed to the SEC that you were breached, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, more from a... a, a... IR regulatory perspective. Right. Yeah, it was an interesting tool. I hadn't seen anybody else with a tool like that. It's very interesting. All right. Anything else? Any other questions about Black Hat? Do you want to ask me how my helicopter ride was? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say something really crude about rides, but I can let it go. You're going to ask me about this nice new jacket I'm wearing? I have both less and more to say about DEF CON. We've actually been talking for quite a while, so maybe I should say less about DEF CON. So, holy crap, was DEF CON crowded. The last Afghan I attended was 21, so 10 years ago, and that was 12,000 people. Apparently, they announced at the end there were 24,000 this year, although they said it hit 30,000 before the pandemic, so I'm thinking next year we'll probably hit that again. Black Hat had 17,400 in 2022. I hadn't seen a number yet for 2023, but Black Hat felt way less crowded. It was pretty crowded at the beginning when everybody was getting their line, but like the line only took like 35 or 40 minutes for me to get my badge at Black Hat and... After the initial crush in the business hall, it wasn't too bad. I guess there, there, there are two things there, you know, venue size and the number of people yeah. they have working the, the, the conference. Yeah. And I think here's where DEF CON has a real negative to it because DEF CON only charges $440 and Black Hat charges like 2500 or 2800 or something like that. Holy cow. Yeah. So they can, they've got fewer people, but they can afford to staff up larger. They can afford to... Uh, have nicer stuff. Defcon relies a lot on goons and volunteers for everything. So nice. Defcon is a little different. Black Hat had Black Hat had the talks. They had the arsenal where they demonstrated stuff. I didn't even make it to the arsenal. Jeez, it's not enough time for all the vendors they had. Defcon, and then it's got the business hall. Defcon has the vendor village, the exhibitors hall, which was a tiny place. It's got all of the villages. There's there's like two dozen villages. I went to a couple of them. I went to the lockpicking village. I went to the hardware hacking village. I went to the voting village. There's a quantum village, a social engineering village, a blue team village, a red team village, an AI village that was always packed. Like there's just all these villages, which are essentially like mini conferences in some ways. So if you go to the hardware hacking village, they had probably four different areas set up. One of them in the back, they were doing talks. When you walked in, in the beginning, there was like the tables where the, the people running the village were set up. Then to the right, there was a bunch of tables set up with soldering stations so you could solder badges and some folks to help you out. And I didn't even see what was to the left. The lockpicking village had the tamper evident contest going on where people try to break into tamper evident stuff. So I watched a demonstration where one guy had this tamper evident tape and he had a little syringe filled with solvent that he was injecting under the tape and like lifting it off of the cardboard 
And like they had all those like tamper evident things and we're talking about how to break through them and then put them back so that they were not, they look like they were still whole. Hmm. Yeah, they had a bunch of tables with lock picks and locks all over them. So I sat down and we did some of that for a bit. And then they were selling more lock picks and, you know, fun tools, fun toys. Uh, what else was there? There's there's a ton. There's like 20 some villages. And again, each one of them is like its own little, like you could literally, if you're interested in that kind of thing, spend like half the con or more there, depending on the village. Then there was the contest area. There was like 12 or 15. I think I counted 12 or 15 different capture the flags going on. There was car hacking contests. They had two self-driving cars in there and or electric cars in there. And people were like trying to break into the car. Did they have them up on blocks? They went and run off. They did not. I didn't actually check to see if they had any chocks or anything. That's a, that's a good yeah, point. I mean, the AI in the car feels like it's attacked. It could try to get away. <laughs> they had a hack Apparently there's a satellite launched that's specifically for security in space. So there's a capture the flag where you're trying to break into the satellite, like an actual mm. literal satellite. There's just so much going on. And then there were the talks. Now, the big negative was since it was so crowded, there were lines of over an hour for most of the popular villages. There was a ton of lines that first day on Friday. And, and over the weekend, really, the only places where there were lines were the really, like the AI village always had a line. The red team village, the blue team village always had a line, the social engineering village. Because I tried to go to the blue team village, but the line was incredibly ridiculous. Mm. Other big thing in DEF CON is badge life. When I attended a decade ago, like, so DEF CON almost always, are they every other year they do an electronic badge? They used to do one every year, but I guess it was too much. And there were additional badges available, but usually there were tickets to parties or like tokens of like a group. Like, you know, one group came together and they all had a special badge together. But now folks are just creating their own badges and selling and trading them. Like I saw this woman with this cool little haunted bird badges on her backpack with two LEDs for lights for eyes. It was super simple, but it was cool. This was Thursday night, so I hadn't really seen the whole badge life thing. I was like, oh my gosh, Like, what, did, what are these badges for? Because again, when I was there, badges were for four something. She's like, oh, I just decided to make this. You know, I had the PCB board cut out and I put together these little baggies with the LEDs and a resistor and a battery holder. And that is, I think that so the idea of a random person just deciding to create and bring their own badge is literally one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I ended up getting a couple other badges because in the vendor area, there's a badge life, like a little kit you can get that has uh, simple add-ons and uh, a couple other badges. So you can practice your soldering and work on badges and just so many badges everywhere. It's wild. Weird. You're like, eh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Might be one of those things you had to be there to see it. Hold on. You know. Uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. I think. Like I'd always known that DEF CON, well, DEF CON has a big kind of self-starter do-it-yourself. Like if you want something to happen at DEF CON, they open up the 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 call for papers. As, as they also open up like call for villages and call for activities and call for contests. Which mm. so I, I this is why I wanted to talk about DEF CON versus other like commercial conferences. Like most commercial conferences, you can go and you can give a talk, and that's about it. There are some mm -hmm. places where there's more, like .comp has the boss of the sock and boss of the knock. But usually, like, you just go and you consume. So I love that, like, with DEF CON, number one, like, just, just attendees have started all these villages and started all these contests. And now people are just, like, doing their own thing and, like, bringing their own stuff to go and like people were selling badges and people were selling like t-shirts and other stuff and the hallways although apparently people were chasing them out too so 
Yeah, it's much more interactive. Yeah, it's very much like a a create your own conference that is very neat. So I'm actually sitting here. I was I spent like three or four hours on Friday looking up how to create my own badge because I'm like I'm going to make a badge. That seems like fun. <laughs> I can't, I can't decide. I'll either do urinal cakes or a badge next year. One of the two. You mean screens? Oh, you're right. Yeah, I couldn't find cakes. I couldn't find anybody that would print stuff on the cakes. All I could find was the screens. Well, uh, you so could you... get a plain cake and then get your soldering iron and then just freehand it. Actually, there's probably some kind of applique you could put on there or maybe just like wrap them. Maybe it doesn't have to be on the cake itself. Oh, it's got to be on the cake, though, because once you put it in the in the urinal, you've got to see the logo. You know, it just right. can't be in the wrapper. That's no good. That's fair. So I attended several talks, and I'll admit I was kind of disappointed. I felt like most of them could have been done in like 15 minutes, but then had an additional 30 minutes of filler because the general time for the talks was 45 minutes. There's there definitely cool stuff in there. Like one person was talking about how you can change the contents of files in SharePoint by using the SharePoint Migration Manager. There's another talk where a guy talked about how you can use escape sequences to run code out of text like in logs and things like that. So, I mean, there's some cool mm. stuff, but uh, there's only one talk. Well, there's two talks that I missed. I heard that they put these talks up on somewhere else publicly later, so maybe I can go back and see it. But there's one talk by Cory Doctorow on how to stop the enshittification of the internet, which I'm definitely going to go back and see. And there was a one talk, which in retrospect, I really wish that I'd attended about the Valid release. There's not much information out about it other than the talk yet. Hopefully more people will start to start using it. But it's an op- quote, an open source, peer-to-peer, mobile-first network application framework. It allows folks to build applications that are distributed like IPFS, uh, Interplanetary File System, and more private than Tor. Because one of the weaknesses of Tor is if you control enough exit nodes, you can deprivatize it. Apparently this is resistant to that. So no, you mean de-anonymize it. De-anonymize, yep. Uh, what did I even say? Privatize. Deprivatize, yeah, yeah. All right. But the goal is to allow folks to opt out of the commercial internet, internet and control their own data. But like Torm, normal people would need to host nodes. And also you would need to write applications to take advantage of, which right now the only application I'm aware of is a chat client that was written as a demo. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where there needs to be, you know, a quote unquote killer app or, you know, something's going to have this thing take off. And I'm not sure I'm seeing it yet. Uh, Well, there's nothing out there yet. So (laughs) there is definitely. No, I'm just, I'm saying I can't think of what that killer app would be. But of course, I'm short sighted. Well, I mean, Um, if it's, if it's, I I just say I looked at the framework on their page and everything. I would, I would like to see, I think for people to, to, to get a better handle on this is like, uh, a video that walks through the sequence of this is what it looks like when you stand up a node. This is what it looks like when you conduct activities on it. You know, this is how it looks like when it's accessed it, you know, step one, two, and three, just visualize what that looks like. Because just reading the documentation didn't really do it for me. Yeah, they mentioned that a lot of the documentation was pretty spare so far. <laughs> yeah, pretty sparse. Yep. But yeah. And this is one of those things where even if it is a good idea, if you don't have that killer app or you don't have a enough people using it, it's just going to fall down and die somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. Still, I fully support the idea. Oh, and this is like the cult of the dead cows. First big thing coming up. 
Well, no, but the first big thing, but they're for their their biggest, latest thing, I guess. So it was Christian Dildog Ryu and Caitlin Medusa Bowden. So this this talk was first thing at 9 a.m. on Friday. I totally missed the talks were starting at 9. I thought everything opened at 10, so I showed up at 10. Sucker. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Yeah. All right. Well, that looks like that's all we have to talk about today. Thank you for joining us. Follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 